Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm with my swashbuckling co-host, <laughs> Maria Jose, Maria Sikora, and Lee Fields, um, who has decided to join us once again, grace us with her presence from the land of Georgia, the state, not the country. Yes. The state yes. of Georgia. Um, so, uh, name one thing you're excited about for the holidays. Christmas music. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no one believes that, Mario. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> I love Thanksgiving. I, I, I just, for me, you know, Christmas is fine, you know, but, uh, you know, most other holidays are okay. But I just love Thanksgiving. I think it's uh, a cool holiday. I think it's about being grateful for what we have, and um, which I think is wonderful. And I love the food, so... <laughs> It's great. Uh, if you could only have one dish on Thanksgiving, what would it be? I'm a big stuffing guy. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's my least favorite part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's nothing to talk about. I, it yeah. just fills me with disdain for you. So I was, I was, well, why would we discuss it? People yeah. in the real world love stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Maria Jose, what's what's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Well, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving oh. here, so I don't wow. know what to say. You don't celebrate? Uh, Never. Okay. Yeah, Go well, ahead. Uh, uh, you whatever verb you use, we don't do it here. Do we you don't eat turkey do. there, Maria Jose? Do you, do you eat turkey in Chile? Well, we don't do Thanksgiving here. Um, and it is a very different experience for us. I mean, the whole end of year, because the calendar year, school and all of that finishes now. So, and we go, I mean, we're starting summer. So uh, there's a lot of year-end parties and uh, school finishes and this and that. So um, it is different. And Christmas is not a big deal until later. I mean, we don't have Christmas stuff everywhere still so by, and by later you mean closer to the date of christmas yes, right yeah correct mm. yeah. so all right yeah. nice lee what about you um i think of it as secular pie thursday so <laughs> pie. What, what does a pie okay yeah gotcha okay mm. all right I, I just a quick story here i, w I was in uh, egypt a few years ago and it was around the holidays. In fact, it was right before Thanksgiving. And there were signs everywhere for Black Friday, right? Black Friday sales and all of this stuff. And uh, we they do don't... do Black Friday. Well, there you go. <laughs> right. So it's becoming a global phenomenon. And um, <laughs> and so I asked the people there. I said, you know, why do you celebrate celebrate Black Friday here? And uh, and they said, uh, we don't know. It just became a thing. And it's, it started off as White Friday for a year, and then they changed it to Black Friday. But nobody understood what it was and what it represented. You know? Now, for our many listeners outside the U.S., uh, it started as the, you know, the kickoff to the holiday shopping season. But the reason it's called Black Friday is because most retail stores are losing money up until that date. And that's the date in which they financially go into the black rather than being in the red. So, yeah. and people were just fascinated by that. You know, they had no idea that was what was behind it. 
It's just interesting to me how an idea can just take root with no understanding whatsoever of what's behind it. There you go. And so we're going to talk about the Enneagram. Uh, great transition, Mario. <laughs> 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 um, today we're going to continue our conversation on the the three pillars of spirituality that Mario likes to hold, which are wisdom, efficacy, yeah. compassion, and awareness. And wonder. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Not awareness. And Greek. wonder. I mean, and wonder, so yes. this is the third time we're having this conversation. <laughs> and, uh, you just need to uh, come up with better yeah. words. Uh, it's just, or an acronym. Give me some so, acronyms. <laughs> So, so, so to recap what Creek just said, when we talk about what it is we're striving to develop, it is cultivating wisdom, cultivating compassion, cultivating efficacy, the ability to be skillful in life, and cultivating wonder. Um, so today we didn't quite hit on the, we hit on wonder and we hit on compassion, right? No, we hit on, uh, do you listen to this podcast, Creek? Uh, we... we I've had a long couple days, okay? <laughs> You're smoking dope in the music studio, isn't it? So, Creek's been recording music for the past yes. few days in the studio. And you know how these musicians are. So he's, 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 all, he's, he's all high on that wacky weed, you know? So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that I was not here, but you hit on wisdom and wonder. Yes. Wisdom and wonder. Wisdom yes. and wonder. So let's, let's jump into the other two. Compassion and efficacy. What's what's your definition of efficacy? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because as I looked at the definition of efficacy um, when we first talked about this a couple episodes ago, it has to do with the capacity to get things done, the capacity to you know produce results, which is actually the same definition we use as uh, for power in our work, right? The capacity to produce a result. And it's interesting to me, but not surprising that, you know, one of the central ideas and, you know, my approach to things and what we do with awareness to action is to be able to produce a result because that's what, you know, sort of uh, drives me in the first place. What we're talking about with efficacy here is just being able to live your life, you know, get the things done, you know, having techniques and skills for living, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in you know, managing your household, uh, doing your job, whatever it is, just developing the capacity to be capable mm. in some way. Would you equate that word with agency? I think they're different, right? Agency is, you know, uh, seeing myself as the doer of something, right? We can have a sense of agency, but still be incompetent. But efficacy is all about competence. It's about developing skillfulness in something. Maria Jose, what do you have anything to add to that? I agree. <laughs> no, I think that no, it's it is so easy to just stay with words like um, wisdom and compassion and all these awareness. And I know that it's not awareness; it's wonder. But uh, these are words that usually equate to spiritual. And and I think that if you asked someone, efficacy would be the, the the one word of these four words that would almost not fit into most people's definitions of uh, spirituality. But I think that 
if you are doing all of that soul searching work and like awareness and, and wisdom, if you are not able to translate that into actual behaviors, into being more skillful and competent, why bother? Mm -hmm. And uh, that not only shows skillfulness, but that you really care that this is important, that you want to be or become a better version of yourself for yourself and for others. And how can you not include it? But I see it overlooked many mm. times. Mario said something the other day um, when we were recording about how humans are not built to see clearly we need technology. And I think there's, there's practical stuff in the awareness to action approach about installing that technology, right? Updating our systems to be able to work with it in a really practical way. I think it's empowering people to get started doing something instead of thinking about something. And I think, I think that's part of the efficacy piece. I, so many times we see people teaching things without practicing them, right? Teaching about relationships when they don't really have relationships or teaching, you know, I've seen people write books on the Enneagram in business who've never worked in business or published their first books on the Enneagram in business before actually doing it. And, you know, how can you really know something without being able to apply it in some way, right? I mean, it's, you know, I, I can sit here and talk to somebody about how to play a guitar, right? But if I've never picked one up and moved my fingers along the strings, then, you know, what do I really know? And if we can't put something into action, then again, what, what good is it? Why are we doing this other than an excuse to sit around and feel good about ourselves and feel spiritual and feel enlightened and, you know, seclude ourselves from the world in some way instead of engaging with it? Hmm. I, I, you know, if that's spiritual work, I'm just not that interested in it. So the other one would be compassion. What do you have to say about compassion? So, you know, it's, it's funny because we talk so much about clear thinking. People think that we, we don't pay attention to the heart center or, you know, whatever, um, or that we denigrate compassion. Uh, people think that, you know, when people start talking about thinking, that they're in some way denigrating the other piece of it. But you cannot think clearly without understanding the role of emotion in life. You cannot act skillfully without having some degree of empathy or compassion. You can't do any of these things without the other in a real way. Okay. So when it comes to compassion, you know, you know if we define compassion, right, it's the capacity for sympathy toward the situation of others in a way that moves us toward action in some way, right? It's not just sitting around feeling something, but it's about wanting to do something about it, right? Uh, it, when somebody strikes, you know, uh, when, uh, when I feel compassion about something, it makes me want to do something, okay, to make things better. And if I am not 
practicing wisdom and if I am not practicing efficacy and developing those capabilities, then I'll never truly be compassionate and I won't be able to apply compassion in the same way. And you know, I think that, I mean, you were mentioning um, critical thinking or clear thinking. In my experience, understanding how the mind works makes me more compassionate. I understand why people do things or react in particular ways. Just as with the Enneagram, understanding the shortcuts people take or make without thinking and makes me react less, feel with them and do things about it in a more, I don't know, wise, in a wiser, more effective way, I think. And I've experienced that in my personal life, in leadership. So that also goes together. It's not either or. I think that they build on each other all the time. We've probably talked about this in a in a, another podcast, but you know, one of my favorite examples of this is the Phineas Gage uh, situation, where Phineas Gage was the railroad railroad worker who you know, had the spike go up under his chin, out the top of his head, and it took out a piece of his brain. But he was still functional. He was still, um, you know, able to think and reason and you know live life. But he lost some emotional part of his brain. And this made it impossible for him to make decisions. Okay? It made him, he could do the logic of a decision, but we ultimately base our actions on a feeling, right? Uh, working in conjunction with reason. Okay. Now, again, our view is, and the reason we harp so much on clear thinking is because we feel that's the thing that's underdone in the Enneagram world, right? Lots of people talking about compassion, okay? Lots of people talking about even somatic stuff, but there's not enough talk about clear thinking and the need for it, right? So, you know, and again, I think because we talk so much about it, people think that we don't talk about the other stuff as well. You know, we do, it's a big part of our work. It's just not, you know, what we need to be vocal about from our view. And I was just talking with somebody last night um, that made an, an offhanded comment. I knew what they meant, right? But they're just like, yeah, this person, they just need to get out of their head and into their body. And I'm like, well, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying. But what you're not, like the imprecision of that language ends up causing issues. And then I, I know way too many people that they're all focused on getting, quote, into their body and out of their head. And they're one of the most immature people I've ever met. And they are doing all the somatic practices. And so it's like, no, it's, it's, it's not about getting out of your head. It's just about not thinking dumbly. Like it was, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, it, it's thinking better. Thinking. Yeah, just it's it's thinking, thinking better. better. Yeah. You know, I've heard Maria say this before, Maria say too, thinking is a doing right? It is a reaction to things that you are in your body when you are thinking. It's like, right. use that part yeah. of your body <laughs> yeah. while, you are, <laughs> while you are doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's a great point, Lee, because what we're trying to help 
people do is use their whole body, including that part between their ears, right? <laughs> yes. You know? And, Be fully involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, there's, there's, a good, you know, there's a great video. I, I, I'm trying to remember. I always forget her name, Riose, the, uh, the TED Talk, the uh, Buddhist nun. Who talks about doing hospice work? Oh, geez, uh, Teresa? No. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. John Halifax. John Halifax. Yeah. Okay. So I, I always think of this TED Talk video by Joan Halifax, the uh, Buddhist teacher. Talk so will not and, get any credit for finding it. We will, oh, we will uh, uh, delete that. <laughs> okay. During the slight edit there that you heard, folks, Maria Jose remembered what the name of Joan Halifax was. Remarkably yes, yes. remembered. Yes. yes. Because, because, you know, my memory and what it used to be. What can I say? So, <laughs> uh, but Joan Halifax talks about, you know, she's this uh, Buddhist nun who does uh, care for the dying which is really, really hard work. And she talks about how we have to be strong and we have to be compassionate and we have to be non-attached to do that kind of work, right? And, and, And so we have to do all of these things in order to do the work. You have to be strong and you have to be compassionate. Yeah, and, and it feels, I think, that when you talk about compassion, that it's like a soft thing. And, and and when you look, I mean, when you watch that video, it is so clear how much, as you were saying, strength you need in order to be compassionate. Yeah. And and I don't think, you know, if you watch that video, I don't think you would walk away saying that she's not a, a tough cookie, right? I mean, she's, you know, she's, she's, a, she's a pretty tough woman. And I also don't think you would walk away saying she doesn't have a profoundly deep reservoir of compassion. Right. Mm. And I don't think you'd walk away saying she's not really, really smart and wise also. So, you know, there's I think that people all too frequently use spiritual work as a way of not really growing. Okay, it's a way of pseudo growing, of convincing myself that I'm doing something, but it's. It's it's it, it's like staying in the garden and thinking that we're exploring, right? And we're not going out into the world and engaging with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, again, I, I think if anybody takes anything away from this is that this is what we're advocating for. In order to truly grow as a human being, you have to go out into the world and engage with it. And to do so skillfully, you have to cultivate wisdom, compassion, and efficacy, and a good dose of wonder as well. Well, while we're on the topic of compassion and sort of the more heart-centered area of Enneagram work, I think that this is an area where sometimes there's misperception about the awareness to action approach. And people might think, oh, it's just for business. And I think that's underselling it by quite a lot. How do you see the same business tools applying to practical everyday life? Yeah, so so I'll I'll address the first part of your um, of what you said, Lee, before talking about the tools. 
this is something that I've seen a lot of people and a lot of times uh, being said. And I think that there's something about what Mario tends to say regarding this is, I mean, I work with corporate people. I work, my clients are business and all of that. And that's true. And that makes our approach, it allows our approach to be tested in a more rigorous environment. However, we work with people. We don't work with executives who take off their costume of executives and then go home and become a person. We work with people. <laughs> and so our approach is for people full stop. I, 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 why would an executive be different to anyone else? Some of them want to grow. Some of them want to do a better job, but just people. So when we say that, that's what we mean. It just, we need to test what we're doing against a more rigorous environment. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to other environments. Now, having said that, I also think that many times it's just easier for people who teach the Enneagram to put us in that category of business uh, because we're less threatening. It's a way to say we're not in their field or uh, we're not competing with them because they're doing a different work and we are not. I think that what we're doing is continue to build a body of knowledge around the Enneagram and other things that help people become more aware and grow very effectively. And that works in business and out of business. Something that was, was really helpful for me, like I didn't always quite understand like what, why is it important why is it an important fact that you work with business people? Rigorous environment, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it was really helpful to, for me to understand that it's because the consequences are a lot more measurable than, than a book club on a Saturday afternoon. The consequences as in, is there, is there an ROI? Is there a return on investment? Is these people that I'm with day after day after day trying to accomplish a goal is it getting easier or is it getting harder? And because you all do extended work with them, then you can see the consequences of your words, of, of the different dynamics within the company and, and people and, and all their peculiarities. So it's not just a, it's not like a, um, yeah, business world is better than all the other worlds. It's like, no, it's just, it's a lot easier to measure if this is working or not. I would, just, I would add to that, Creek, another component that I think that the business world, close quote, adds is a time limit, right? Mm. There's, mm. You've, you've synthesized a lot of complex material down to a digestible amount of actionable information because you've got an hour or three hours to teach a whole system instead of a weekend or indefinitely, Right. And that time pressure, I think all of us can relate to how well you have to understand something to synthesize it down to its simplest form, right? And teach from there. I think that's a real strength that this, the awareness action approach has. If we go back to wisdom, and I think this is something you mentioned in the previous episode, 
um, and defined as like you, you, in order to have wisdom, you, you had to have knowledge and perspective and experience. And I think that people in the business world or some people in the business world, I don't want to uh, generalize there, have that, have the perspective of things that they have gone through, that they know that they have lived, have experienced. So it is harder teach them something when they have that background and say, okay, what are you talking about here? It's, uh, this doesn't work here. It doesn't work there. I mean, what would happen in this case or that case? So when you are looking inwards and reading and watching videos and all that about the Enneagram, without that perspective, it's a lot easier to just buy any idea. But when you have that perspective, it's harder. And that's the people we're dealing with. And, you know, I feel a confidence when I'm in front of that kind of audience that allows me to just stand there and talk about these things with, I mean, not hesitating for a moment because I trust in what we do because we have tested it. So I don't, and that applies to any other audience. If I'm able to do it there, then I can do it with anyone else. So I don't feel like ashamed of that's the people we work with. I feel proud, proud of working with these people. And it allows me to go to any environment and teach it. You know, Maria Jose and I get to work with some of the smartest people around. And to Marie Jose's point, yeah, if it works there, it works anywhere, right? So, you know, it's like if you're teaching, you know, calculus in college, you don't really have a lot of anxiety about teaching, you know, basic math to third graders, right? So, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we can do this. With this, this simplicity thing, um, I see that as a feature rather than a bug, right? Um, it's, you know, most people want things faster rather than slower. And, and this doesn't mean to, you know, neglect the quality of it. You know, look, of course, sometimes it, it takes time to cook a fine meal, right? But, you know, if we can get that fine meal a little bit faster, that's great. Okay, a little less effort, that's great. And so what, what we do by simplifying things is not taking shortcuts, Right. And this has been really important for us. It's not to take shortcuts. It's to figure out what's really, really important and what is going to have the biggest bang for the buck. Okay. What ideas do people really need to take away? Okay. And how can they do that? The final thing is related to results. Okay. To, to what you were saying, Creek. Yes, there are measurable. Right. Um, we get called in to work with somebody. They want to see specific improvement in an individual. They want to see specific improvement in a team. They want something that they can say, okay, we got our money's worth, right? But shouldn't everybody who's teaching anything put the same expectations on themselves to actually see results in what they're getting, Right. You know, my my son takes guitar lessons. Shouldn't I expect his guitar teacher to help him make progress 
so I see progress in my son over time, right? Shouldn't everybody who's doing anything expect to see benefit in the people who are investing either their time or their money or their faith in that individual, uh, right? I mean, and I think if we're not paying attention to that, we're just simply not being ethical, okay? So I think that anybody teaching the Enneagram should ask themselves, am I helping people get results? And how do I know that's the case? I think it's also, yeah, it's really easy to fool yourself into your, your feeling better about yourself, which I guess can be a form of improvement. Um, maybe I hate myself a little less. That, absolutely, that's great. <laughs> Love that. Um, but, but, there, but, then, but then what? Um, yes. What, what's after that? And if we just stop at, oh, I feel better about myself, then, then we haven't really done anything. This, this is the distinction between state work and stage work, right? Or one of them, right? You know, it's easy to go into a um, group of people and do a motivational speech, right? Or to, you know, teach them something that makes them feel really good about themselves and then walk away with everybody on a high, right? And the motivational speaker or the teacher or whatever it is walks away saying, man, people love me. Okay, look how much they enjoyed that. And then they go on to the next gig and do the same thing. And they're bouncing from one high to another. But what they don't see is the come down that people have when they start to say, okay, that felt good, but what did I really learn from it? And what can I really apply? And how am I really going to grow? And where's the support I need to implement these things, right? Um, sometimes you don't even get to that point, but you just need another dose of yes. that feeling and, and need another experience like that. Another summer camp. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and I see this all too many times in Enneagram circles where, you know, the guru goes up and they do their dog and pony show and everybody says, oh, wow, look at that. And that feels so amazing. And my heart is open now. And then the guru moves on and that person is left with an open heart and an exposed psyche without a vessel, right? Mm -hmm. Without support. And uh, to me, that's just unconscionable. The best book I've ever seen on leadership is the U.S. Army Leadership Manual. Okay? Um, and I've seen, I've got hundreds and hundreds of books on leadership on my shelf, okay? And that is the best one. Why is that the case? Because people get killed if they're not, they don't have good leaders in the army, okay? The best book on understanding cognitive biases I've ever seen was written by and for the CIA, okay? It's a publicly available document. You can look it up, right? Why is it good? Because it matters if our intelligence agencies are clear thinkers or not. If you want to know if climate change is real or not, ask the insurance companies what they think, okay? People who have skin in the game are focused on results. 
and focused on, okay, how do we make sure we don't lose too much skin in this game? And I think Enneagram teachers should be doing the same thing. So to sum up, the... uh, (laughs) I want to listen to what you say. (laughs) To what you say. (laughs) No. um, ATA approach, though, though, yes, applied in business well, it's, it's... it filters down so well into the everyday non-sexy work of getting up in the morning. It's an, it's not a system that is just more fitting because it doesn't use offensive language like sexual. Um, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's, yes. it's a system. We don't, we don't want to get that explicit rating for the podcast. So we had right. to change the terminology. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a useful system. Um, because, it, well, yeah, it works. You use it because it works um, and, and nothing else. I, I think that in the last episode, Mario talked about his job as being a practitioner, right? And then he talked about the steps of or, or the, the definition of practitionering, right? And I think that part of what that pointed to for me was um, the scaffolding of the ethics behind the work he's doing or that we're that ATA is doing. It's practicing the tool. <laughs> and there's a spiritual component, unquote, to that, right? To your point, Greek, it's getting up every day and doing this stuff. It's applying it in real life. And that's enabling people or empowering people to be leaders in their own lives, to be managers of their own lives, whether they're business people or not. You can use this simple system more skillfully than trying to apply a complex theory with a thousand traits listed by type or whatever. Like this is just more actionable and measurable. And you can sort of let the spiritual work sneak up on you if you're, <laughs> if you're not into that being your primary goal, right? You can still use it in your everyday life. That's one of my takeaways from ATA for sure. I was just thinking that simple is not just a way to simplify, to make it easier. I think that simple in our case is better. <laughs> More aerodynamic. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, yes, yes. Um, that's a way to put it. It's more effective. It keeps... It captures the depth. It captures the substance. But it can be communicated in a way that it goes down your throat faster. <laughs> I mean, that you can... It's more accessible without losing substance. And um, I just wanted to make sure that it's not interpreted as easier. It's just easier because it's better packed uh packaged and but it requires as you said before you need to understand it really well in order to simplify it to synthesize it and i mean mar and i always talk about how over time it takes us less and less time to share the model with our clients and it's because we just understand what they sense of it is <laughs> and um, and we're, we're able to communicate it 
in a simple way that it's really effective without losing its substance nor its power. So what I'm hearing is it's like the kale of the Enneagram. <laughs> Vitamin rich, really nutritious. <laughs> Whatever, Creek. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, AG1, Athletic Greens. Every every sponsor out there is doing AG1. Okay. You know, I, 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 I was with Maria Jose and her daughter in New York a few weeks ago, and uh, we went to breakfast, and the place we went was a place we went to make them happy because they had a lot of avocado and uh and uh, so i saw i saw a uh a a breakfast bowl and i didn't read the whole you know menu and uh you know i saw that it had an egg on top of it and some other things and basically they put down this bowl of kale in front of me with an egg on top of it (laughs) and 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 i nearly wept uh so <laughs> oh, man. So comparing us to the kale of the enneagram is a little painful for me, well, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you can work on that <laughs> cognitive dissonance. Listener, thanks for sticking around. Uh, we will be back hopefully next time with some really great interviews from some really smart people that are deep into deep in their re- religious tradition. So uh, take care, have a wonderful holiday, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.